Hey, we're going to be in 1 John chapter 4 for kind of the duration of this message today. Um, If you have a Bible, you can go ahead and turn there or turn it on. If you were with us last week, you know we launched a new series titled A People Of. And we're filling in the blank every week, but we're really talking about what it means to be a people of the kingdom of heaven. And the blank we're filling in every week are the characteristics of the people of God. And so this week, we're going to talk about love. Love as one of the characteristics of God himself, but also as one of the characteristics of the people of God. And next week, Pastor Brad will be back with us, our lead pastor, if you're new around here. And he's going to be talking about peace. And the following weeks, we will talk about power, justice, freedom, and truth. Now, our goal in this series isn't simply just to define these characteristics, um, but to actually talk about how we, as a people, live them out. So today we're going to talk about love and how specifically we will live as a people of love in a time where there is a short supply of that in our world today. But love, what is it? Well, like most people today, when I'm trying to define something or when my kid asks me a question and I don't have the answer to it, I turn to Google. So I Googled it. What is love? And uh, you know what popped up right away? Was the Billboard Top 50 Love Songs of All Time. So I figured you might as well take a look and see what the Billboard Top 50 Love Songs of All Time has to say about love. And here's what I discovered. The Beatles say... All you need is love. Tina Turner asked the question, what's love got to do with it, right? Elvis himself said that he can't stop falling in love. And Savage Garden, for those of you millennials and Gen Xers, they said, I knew I loved you before I met you. I don't know how that works, but that's a thing. Beyonce, your love got me looking so crazy right now. (laughs) Whitney Houston said that I will always love you. And at the same time, she said, but I'm going to need a higher love. And then there's Justin Bieber, the Biebs. You should go and love yourself. Advice from Justin Bieber. And then finally, Joan Jett and the Blackhearts said that you can what? Love rock and roll. And rounding home plate, Diana Ross and Loino Ritchie say this about love, that it can be expressed in that endless love. Thank you. That's about all the singing you're ever going to hear from me. So, so if you take some of the Billboard Top 50 love songs of all time and you combine them, you learn that love can be for rock and roll, that you can love yourself, that it's all you need and yet it's going to drive you crazy that you can't help falling in love even before you've ever even met the person, that it is somehow endless and forever and somehow there is something or someone of a higher love than we can express. And then at the end of all of this, we can ask the question, what's love got to do with it anyways? And this is precisely the challenge in the attempt to define love, let alone preach a sermon about it. It is a word with such far-reaching implications that coming up with any simple definition honestly just sells it all too short. I feel love. I fall in love. I experience love. I desire love. I give love. I receive love. I express love. I love my wife. Marital love is like no other. 
It starts like this flaming fire of passion and desire, and even as it matures and grows, you can sit right next to this person and not say a word, and you wouldn't want to be anywhere else. I love my children. My two-year-old last night, she kept grabbing my face. I love you, Daddy. And I was like, I love you too. We've been trying to put you to bed for an hour. Oh, I love my kids. I love my family, even when it's hard. We're committed to one another. I love my friends. You spend time with a friend and you have a cup of coffee. I had coffee with a friend Thursday morning and it seemed like time just flew by and by the end of it, my soul was full. And I love tacos. <laughs> Corn, flour, it doesn't matter. They are all amazing. <laughs> All of these things are true, am I right? But as you know, as well as I do, when I use the word love, I mean something very different for my wife than I do tacos. <laughs> See, when the Bible defines love, it doesn't just try to give you some abstract idea. It doesn't introduce you to this intense emotion or feeling. Those things are true. When the Bible defines love, it introduces you to a person instead. And not just anybody, but God himself. The reason why is because we can actually know a person. And in the knowing of that person, we get to experience all of his love in all of its facets. John, I told you we'd be at First John. John, um, First John chapter four, he says it like this. Beloved, speaking to the church, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. So John says that love is from God. Another way you could say that, it is of God. And what we believe in Christianity is that the reality of God's love is expressed in this idea called the Trinity. In other words, God exists in perfectly expressed loving relationship with himself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Three distinct persons express such perfect love for one another that they are also perfectly one God. Mind-blown emoji going off in your head right now? Me too. What this means is this. All of the characteristics of the people of the kingdom of heaven find their very existence in the person of God. Their perfect expression is found in him, which means perfect love is going to only ever be found in God. The same is true for peace, perfect power, perfect justice, perfect truth, perfect freedom. These things that we all long to understand and experience can only ever be found fully in God. If you want to know the truest definition of each of the words as we go through them, you have to look at how God embodies them and expresses them not just in the book study of these ideas, right? I've done the word studies. I know there's all sorts of different words that God uses in the Bible for love. It's beyond just reading them on a piece of paper, but experiencing them in a relationship with God. All of that to say, the Billboard top 50 love songs of all time, well, they can give you a glimpse or a hint at love, but you can only ever know the real thing if you know God. So I'm gonna ask you a question, and it's kind of rhetorical. I'm not gonna ask you to answer it in front of everybody in the room, but here's my question. Have you ever experienced the love of God? If you ever wanna start a fascinating conversation with somebody, 
Ask them that question. But here's a pro tip. Please be slow to speak, <laughs> quick to listen, especially when they tell you something, you're like, yeah, I'm not so sure that's the love of God, right? But seriously, it's challenging to answer that question. Like, how would you answer it? If somebody were to ask you that question, how would you describe the love of God? Because it feels like words just don't do the love of God justice. So I asked some friends of mine. I want to share some of the answers. My first friend told me the love of God is like a slip and slide. <laughs> it's fun. It's immersive. It's inclusive. It's joy-filled. It's alive. It's a rush. Just dive in and invite everyone in your neighborhood to join you. My other friend said it's the only place that she can feel absolutely at peace when she's not in control. And that's the thing. We're all gonna come up with a different answer because we are all different people. Because God in his love moves towards each and every single one of you the way you need to receive the love of God, how you need him. So I started thinking about it all week, and I would encourage you all week, think about this question as well. Think about how you would answer this question, because it might be one of the most important things you ever tell anybody. But I started thinking about it, and I was trying to come up with a word, I was trying to come up with language that could describe how I experienced the love of God, and here's the only thing I could come up with, home. See, I understand that when I say that, not all of you have good homes or had good homes, you didn't grow up in a safe and loving environment, I understand that. When I say this word, I think about its ideal. I think about its perfection of home. I think about home as the safest possible place. The place I can be myself, be fully known, and still fully accepted. I think about deep belly laughs and comfy clothes. I think about good food and even better coffee, because in my house there's gonna be good coffee. And I think about the best, deepest, most life-giving conversations. I think of a place where I don't have to worry about what I look like or what I'm wearing because it just doesn't matter. I think about the people closest to me. And then I think about hospitality. I think about inviting people into an environment like that. I think of home as a shelter from the storm, the real ones, but also the metaphorical ones in our life. I think about it as a warm place in the cold and a cool place in the summer heat, a place to be refreshed and experience the good things that this life has to offer. Now listen, I could go on and on, but experiencing the love of God to me is like home. All that I described, it's like the place of my deepest human longing is fulfilled. God is my home. He is my safe person. He is my safe place. He is the one that loves me and accepts me regardless of me. <laughs> all of my mistakes, all of the baggage that I come with, he is my home. The psalmist sometimes calls this, um, calls God his refuge. And guess what? He is that for you too. Here's why this is such good news. At my core... One of the greatest insecurities that I have as a human being is a fear that you won't love me. Fear that I will lose the love of someone else. Right, and, and it manifests in all sorts of different ways. I was talking to my therapist about this this week. It manifests in fear, anger, sadness, sometimes depression, but at the root, 
of all of those things in a relationship with someone is the fear that I'm going to be vulnerable, that I'm going to give myself in an attempt to connect with you and I'm going to be rejected. I don't think I'm alone. In fact, I think the majority of you know exactly what I'm referring to. John says it this way, there is no fear in love. Instead, perfect love drives out fear because fear involves punishment. So the one who fears is not complete in love. If you've ever lost human love, maybe a loss of life or a broken relationship or a child that won't speak to you or a parent that won't speak to you, the breaking of human love is one of the most gut-wrenching human experiences possible but it's impossible to lose the love of God. If his love is perfect for us, Paul says it this way in Romans 8, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him who, what? Loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Can I get an amen? amen. <laughs> See, nothing you can do and nothing you can say can separate you from the love of God, which means there is security for you. You do not have to be afraid that you will lose the Father's love. Everybody makes mistakes, including my perfect four children. <laughs> And when they make a mistake, sometimes there's this temptation for them to run away and to hide, to kind of remove themselves from the situation. And why? Well, John said it earlier, it's because of fear of punishment, right? They remove themselves, they run, they hide. One of the things that I tell my children over and over again is this. There is nothing that you can say. There is, sorry, nothing you can do that will ever make me stop loving you. Plain and simple. They can't say or do anything that will change my love for them. And then I say this, I say, you know that temptation, girls, to run away when you're feeling afraid? In that very moment, I want you to know that you can turn around and run right into my arms. Now listen, I'm not a parenting guru or expert. You know what this is? This is the parable of the prodigal son. The son hit hard times, some by his own making, and actually mostly by his own making, but some just because of the broken world that we live in. And the father is home. And when the son comes back broken and ashamed because of his mistakes, the father runs to him and embraces him. He says, you were lost, but now you have been found. That is the love of God, even in the hardest places. 
Notice something, though. When Jesus tells the parable of the prodigal son, he doesn't paint a picture of a life without challenges, right? He doesn't paint a utopian picture of what it's like to experience the love of God. He refers to this experience as God entering into the brokenness of this man's story and being home for him in the midst of it all. Every Wednesday, our staff here at the church gathers to pray. We pray for you. We pray for our world. We pray for our city. We pray for one another. This Wednesday was a particularly hard week. In just one morning, we had a flood of prayer requests of bad news, and I'm gonna share some of them with you. Um, we heard about two men in our church. One had reoccurring, but the other occurring for the first time, the same kind of brain tumor. We heard about a 15-year-old who had to have their ovaries and fallopian tubes removed to prevent a spread of cancer. A car wreck right down the road from my house where two students died and a sheriff deputy in critical condition. A 24-year-old who had been trying so hard, her and her husband, to have a baby found out at five months she was carrying a five-week stillborn child. A teenager who ran away from home. When we talk about God's love and his goodness, it's impossible not to wrestle with our world's broken state and wonder, where is this loving God in the midst of such suffering, evil, and brokenness? This isn't a cop-out. Um, we don't shy away from those hard conversations here. In fact, we wrote this whole series to try to begin to address these questions, and we will continue to in the weeks and months to come. But where is God in the midst of all of it? Well, on Wednesday, after a time of prayer, I was honestly just in a really dark place, sad, feeling the weight of all of this stuff. And yet, in the midst of it all, I couldn't shake the very presence of the love of God. See, this has become familiar to me because in my points of suffering, in my own life, whether it's my wife in the hospital and my daughter in an ambulance, whether it's my friend in the hospice room, I recognize in those moments, in the suffering and in the pain, the presence of the God who loves me, right? There is a promise, my friends. There is a promise that the brokenness of this world will come to an end. But you know what the other promise is? I will never leave you or forsake you. The other promise is that when, until that day comes, God will be with you in the midst of your suffering and your pain. Paul is speaking to a real flesh and blood church in a city of Thessalonica. In chapter four, he says this, brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of my, mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. Because of the love of God, we have hope that this is not the end of the story. This is why Jesus came, this is why he lived, and this is why he died and rose again. John says it this way, for God so loved the world 
that he gave his one and only son. Whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. So how do we experience the love of God? Well, I told you this earlier, relationship is the key. It's not just about learning facts about the love of God. It's actually about walking with that very being. It's walking with Jesus. It's learning who he is. There's a promise in the scriptures that the Holy Spirit is in you, but you know what the other promise is? That the Holy Spirit is with you. With is a relationship kind of word, right? And when Jesus says he'll never leave you or forsake you, he tells you, I am giving you the Holy Spirit to be with you. God always wants to be with you. This is the story from the very beginning, and it is the story that continues to be told over and over again. How else do we experience the love of God? It's all of you. I sat up here fighting tears during baptism service today, watching you students rush up here to celebrate your friend. Ugh. I pray my girls have relationships like that in their life. Watching you guys come around, Leroy, it's a long story, but to cheer him on. You can do it, buddy, you can do it. People, TJ jumping in the water, that is the love of God, right? He doesn't have a change of clothes, TJ, right? You could be sopping around for the rest of the day. We experience the love of God in community with one another. Paul says this in Colossians, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you have a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them together in perfect unity. Man, what would a community of that kind of forgiveness look like? Forgive as the Lord forgave you, which pretty much means what? Forgive everything. <laughs> we live in a time right now, um, we, you, this idea is thrown around all the time, cancel culture. You make one mistake, it could have been 16 years ago in a tweet, you're done. And I get it, some of the things said shouldn't have been said. Some of the things done should not have been done. But we are a graceless world, right? And all that does is it heaps on more shame and it causes the spiral of hatred to grow more and more and more. If anyone had the right to say, you guys are messed up and I don't want anything to do with you, it would be Jesus, right? But what does he do instead? He gives his life over for you. What should we do instead? Well, forgive as the Lord forgave you. I know that's easier said than it is done, but I just can't help but think the antidote to cancel culture and the people hurting to that is the love of God displayed in the forgiveness of God. Man. The love of God from the people of God is potent in all times. In times of celebration, like baptisms today, but it is especially potent in a time of suffering. When my family goes through suffering, 
watching the community of faith come alongside of us has been one of the most encouraging things possible. My community group shows up with bags of groceries while my wife is in the hospital. My dear friend and kind of like family, Brad's daughter Maddie shows up and takes my girls to the zoo. Not because she works here at the church, because she loves my kids. The gift card shows up because I just don't have the hands to make dinner. You know what I mean when someone shows up at just the right time in just the right way. That is the love of God on display. It's one of the ways we experience the love of God. Something happens, though, when we experience the perfect love of God. It changes us. We've all been changed by love before. We've experienced love, and sometimes we do stupid things, but other times it leads us to the best version of ourselves. I've come to believe that it is almost impossible, if not impossible, at least for me in my life, to make any lasting positive change unless it is motivated by love. I was a college basketball player, and like many collegiate athletes, there comes an end to the time when someone screams at you so you get in shape, right? There comes an end to the time when someone is paid to coach you and tell you you need to be healthy. And then all of a sudden, that lands, it's sometimes in your mid-20s when your metabolism slows down to a turtle's pace. It all lands at the exact same time, and you realize that you have to become responsible for your own health. This has been the pain of my own journey. Now, as an athlete, since I was very little, I have had some voice in the back of my head that has always said, you're not good enough, you're not strong enough, you're not fast enough, you don't jump high enough, you do, all of those things. And so that plays in the back of my head, and really it just reinforces shame. But it, it can be motivating, at least in the short term, to run a little harder, to move a little bit more weight, whatever it would be. But when the voice of the coach stopped, and the voice of shame in the back of my head just kept going, I could never make the positive changes in my own life until it all unlocked for me, until love. Until one day I was walking up the stairs and I was winded. That was a bad day for me. I have four little kids, which requires me to get a lot of steps in every day. My watch says I get 15 to 20,000 steps in a day, somewhere between eight and 12 miles every day. I am on the move. My kids need me to be. My wife needs me to be. And all of a sudden, when I realized that the only way for me to be able to do that is if I was healthy, it changed everything because my motivation wasn't about myself, how I looked, if I could get on the cover of men's health, right, or if I could score the most baskets. That was not my motivation, not vanity or shame. My motivation was the love of my wife and my children. My motivation was the love of my community around me. If I can be the best version of myself, I can give the best of myself. That is the only thing powerful enough to sustain change, at least in my life. And yes, of course, discipline and hard work and grit, those things all do come afterwards, but the motivation is love, right? The motivation isn't just my love, but the love of God working in and through me to lay down my rights, my privileges, the things I want for the good of someone else around you. And this is the reality of love, at least the love of God in our life, is that it changes us. And then it be takes home in your soul, right? And then it can't help but begin to change the world around us. Um, 
Again, John in 1 John says this, see what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God and what we will be has not yet been made known. But what but we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. All who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. Skip down to verse 16. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. God's love lavished on us makes us children of God. God's love makes us more like Jesus. We may only see that in part now, because we're we're imperfect, but one day it will be in full. And last, God's love doesn't lead us to empty words and false promises, but to action and truth. I love how practical John gets here. If you have something that someone else needs, give it to them. (laughs) A people of generosity, because that's what love does. Love looks like Jesus. We're gonna land the plane in the next couple minutes here. Um... I mean, how do you ever land the plane when you're talking about the love of God, right? Go to like BibleGateway.com and type in love and God and you'll be like, well, it's the whole Bible. <laughs> I know. But we're gonna try to land the plane here. Uh, Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter five, for Christ's love compels us. I love that word, compels. Because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all. Those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. (laughs) Paul could be motivated by a lot of reasons, right? He could want a big platform to know that his words are going to be read and preached on 2,000 years later. There could be all sorts of motivations that we could read into Paul. But you know what he says his motivation is? And not just for him, but for the people with him? The love of God, right? And you gotta think about everything Paul, this guy gave up to follow Jesus. Why would you do that? Because you experience the love of God and nothing in this world can compare to it. So you want everyone in this world to know it. John says this, we love because he first loved us. We're compelled by the love of God to share the love of God with the world around us. It's Mission Focus Weekend, which means out in the commons, we're gonna have uh, a table and you can meet some of our team and um, you can hear about the things we're doing globally and locally around the world. Pastor Mark Nicholas, who oversees that, was telling us stories on Wednesday about some of his journeys. And Mark is a different guy. Like, he's on like a different airplane in a different country every like other week. But I was listening to his stories and I couldn't help but think, why would you go there and do that? This is, he's like, yeah, we got on an airplane and then we went on this really long drive, basically to the end of the road in the middle of a rainforest. And then the only way you could get to the people was then to get on a boat and then take the boat. And then you got there and they lived in huts and there wasn't any clean water. I'm like, why would you go there? Where is the Ritz? Where's the Four Seasons? Like, 
where's the air conditioning? And I just keep thinking about this. Yeah, but if we don't show up, they don't have clean water. If we don't show up, kids keep dying from preventable diseases. But you don't speak their language and you don't know who they are. It doesn't matter. The love of God compels us to go there to the ends of the earth and to love people who can give us nothing in return. Why? Just so that they know that there is a God who loves them. That's it. Now listen, you don't have to go to the ends of the earth to do this, right? You can go to your diaper changing table where your child has nothing they can give you and they've kept you up all night and you're like, ah, what is this? And they won't remember it. They won't be grateful for it. I'm talking to myself, right? (laughs) The love of God poured out on my child. Not because they can do anything in return for me. Simply so that they might know the love of God. I know that you're smart people. And you can think in your head of all the different ways you can apply the love of God in a world that desperately needs it. But you know why it's hard right now specifically? This isn't unique to our time. But one of the reasons why it's so hard to express the love of God is because we're influenced every single day. There's all, if you didn't know this, there's all sorts of forces that influence us to turn our love inwards and not to share the love of God with people around us. We live in a specific time where we've been told, if you don't agree with me, you're the problem. COVID, for example, remember in the very beginning of COVID, we're in this together, two weeks, we'll flatten the curve. The two weeks went by and the curve did not flatten and what happened? It's your fault. No, it's your fault. And I would hate, I hate to say this, but the reality is is the church was in the middle throwing out accusations. This person, this person, this political party, this person. You just had to stop and think that is not the love of God. We'll talk about truth and we'll talk about justice. We'll talk about those things because they are important too. But the way we communicated our words, you know that Jesus said the world will know you're my disciples because of what? Not your social media posts. Not the track you want to hand your neighbor. Because of your love for one another. Because it is so rare, it is so unique, it doesn't happen. And the world will go, well, who is that? What is that from? Jesus said it like this, I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Don't post. (laughs) Pray. What does it look like to be a people of love? Know the love of God, be changed by the love of God, and love others the way God has loved you. How is that? Patience, kindness, without envy, without boasting, without pride, with honor, self-sacrificially, be slow to anger, without keeping a record of the wrong things that they have done to you. Rejoice in the truth. Love always protects, it always hopes, it always trusts, it always perseveres. That kind of love will never fail. The benediction today has become the prayer that I pray over my children now every day. And I would like to pray it over you. So if you would stand. A benediction is simply just a prayer of blessing. And if you would like to receive it, you can open your hands, which is just a posture of receiving. May we be a people who know the love of God, experience the love of God, be changed by the love of God, 
and be compelled to share the love of God with the world around us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.